Matthew chapter 16. We're going to pick it up in verse 13. Matthew chapter 16, picking it up in verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. Then Peter, catch this, took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is there to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of His Father with His angels, and then He will reward each according to His works. Surely I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Father, as we take some time tonight to consider Your Word, Lord, I readily admit we need You to be our teacher tonight. We need your spirit to take the words that come out of my mouth and add to them life and power and effectiveness. Lord, in a group this size, we come into this room in different places. Some are, are on fire for you, charging toward the hills of the kingdom. Others are discouraged and worn down. Others are compromising in sin. And Lord, the reality is, you know where each of us are at. So God, we pray less of us and more of you tonight that we might reflect you to a lost and dying world. We want to be your disciples. So would you instruct us in what that means tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. What is a disciple? What is a disciple? I mean, we've gone over the term, if you were taking notes, you remember it means learner. But that's kind of vague, a learner. I, I mean, we are interested, we're attending a study entitled Being Discipled by Jesus. I assume most of us want to be His disciples in this generation. But what does that really look like? What does it look like in my life, in your life? 
Well, as we get here to Matthew 16, understand Jesus is midway through his ministry at this point. He takes his 12 disciples, and if you were with us last week, maybe you remember, maybe you don't, maybe it'll be new to you. Last week he took lots of those that were his learners, lots of those that were disciples and following him, and he narrowed that group down to 12. 12 apostles, and for the rest of our studies, this is the group he's addressing. The 12 disciples as you think of them. Not a large group, just 12 individual men, 11 of which will change the world for Jesus Christ. He takes these 12 disciples, and as we get here to Matthew 16, he's going to take them on really what we would call a retreat. He goes up to Caesarea Philippi. Now up on the screen is going to rotate through a couple of pictures. It's just a picturesque spot. On the times that I've been to Israel on a, on a tour, I love the day that we get to go to Caesarea Philippi. It's so beautiful. It's just a place where you can grab your Bible and sit and meditate on the things of the Lord. Uh, pagans used it for centuries for, to worship their gods, but there is just something divine about that place. Something restful. And, and, and generations of Romans and Israelis, and now Israelis again today, they use this spot in Caesarea Philippi to go, to rest, to reflect upon the Lord. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's taking his 12 disciples to this place and he's pouring into them at this retreat spot. And what he wants to pour into them is what it is to truly be a disciple. Now, if you're taking notes tonight, I want to examine three questions. They're going to come up on the screen now as well if you want help writing those things down. In Matthew 16, we see three things. We see what a disciple is not, what not to do, the poor example, the bad example. Secondly, we see what a disciple is, what we are to emulate in our lives if we want to be called disciples. And then finally tonight, we need to examine why. Why in the world would I want to become one? And Jesus, the master teacher, examines all of those for us. So, starting with the first one, what a disciple is not. Draw your attention back to verse 13, there in Matthew 16. And it says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Then some said, John the Baptist, some Elijah. Others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But he said to them, Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and raised on the third day. Then, here we go, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. 
Oh, I know you've all, most of you at least, have heard this story before. What an interesting event in the life of Peter. In, in verses 13 through 20, Jesus is asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? It's kind of like they're having a staff meeting. And he's, he's asking them, hey, what's the word on the street about me? And some of the disciples reply, hey, some say that you're John the Baptist back from the dead. He was beheaded at this point in Jesus' ministry. Some say that you're Elijah or Jeremiah. That's what the word on the street is, Jesus. But then, friends, Jesus gets real personal. And Jesus is asking them, not because he's interested in the opinion of the common man, he says, hey guys, who do you say that I am? I get what the word on the street is, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And oh, Peter, he steps up to the plate and he knocks it out of the park. Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Yes, Peter, way to go. In fact, Jesus tells him, you didn't pick that up on the street, bub. No way, no how. You receive that from my Father in heaven. And Peter, on that confession of faith, I'm going to build my church and even hell will not stand a chance against it. Can you imagine being Peter in that moment? Jesus just looked at you and said, You hear directly from God. Oh, I bet Peter was thinking, You bet I do. You bet. Did you hear that, boys? Could you say it a little louder, Jesus? Hey, I hear directly from God. You other little disciples, did you hear what Jesus did? He changed my name from Simon to Peter, from pebble to rock. That's right, Jesus called me Rocky. We should make that a movie someday, Peter must have been thinking. I'll write a script of a pebble turned rock. Anyways, Peter is feeling really good. But then in verse 21, Jesus starts talking plainly to them that he's going to suffer. He's going to die. And even though he does tell them he's going to raise again, they don't seem to get that last part we'll understand from the rest of the gospel. He tells them, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. And I can just see Peter. What's that, Lord? You're going to suffer and die? Death and dying? Oh, wait. The man who gets direct revelation from God. I'm getting something. I'm getting to something, I'm getting to something. And then in verse 22, it says, Peter took Jesus aside. All oh, the language of that. The la he took him aside. The Hebrew is like you do to a little child. You know, I I'm trying to teach my son. I love my son. But we have two girls also. A younger sister and an older sister. And I'm trying to get into my son's brain. You don't hit girls. And he looks at me and he says, but dad, sometimes they deserve it. And even though I go, amen, no, I didn't say that. But I, I say, I, I, I can understand, I can understand. I say, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You, you don't, you do not do that. That's not okay. And so the other day, they're playing swords and all of a sudden just whack. And one of the, you know, plastic sword, obviously, but, but whack. And why right the side of the sister? And she comes in crying and he looks at me and I look at him and I'm like, come here. Come here right now. And he's like, hey, it was an accident. But, but, that, but that phrase where I said, you, you, here right now. Come over here. Friends, that's the language of what Peter is doing. Lord, come over here. What are you talking about, death and dying? Come on, take some aside to rebuke him. Take some aside to correct him. 
He says, not so, Lord. Not so. Not so, my master, who I'm completely submitted to with all of my life. Not so. No, God, that is not the plan. But as Peter does this, the Bible says Jesus turned to him and said, get behind me, Satan. Love it. You know, God has certain pet names for me, I really believe. Dumb little sheep. I just feel like, I know he loves me, but I just, oftentimes I feel him saying, you are so dumb. Why do you do that? Why do you do that over and over again? Dumb little sheep. You know, hard-headed man. I mean, he's got some, some phrases for me, but I've never sensed him calling me Satan. That's never happened. That is radical for Jesus to look at Peter and call him Satan. But as funny as this event is to us now, friends, you've got to see it because it teaches us a deep truth about what a disciple is not. Friends, discipleship is not arguing with the word of the Lord, no matter whether you agree with it or not. It's not putting your opinion ahead of God's. You see, for Peter to say, not so, Lord, was a contradiction in terms. He can't truly be Lord. He can't truly, you can't truly be his disciple if your mouth or your heart is telling him no. No, I don't want this in my life. No, I won't go there, do that, live this way. No, Lord. Friends, no and Lord does not work. It shouldn't be used in the same sentence together. That's not what being a disciple is about at all. And Peter, in this great confession, he says, you're the, the Christ, the Son of the living God. It was easy for him to say, Jesus, you're the Messiah. But think about why, friends. Think about it. Why was it easy for Peter to declare Jesus was the Messiah? Because in Peter's mind, the Messiah would come, defeat the Roman Empire, and set up his kingdom. And then naturally, those that were close to the Messiah, well, what would they do? They would rule with him. And so for Peter, it was great that Jesus was the Messiah. So he thunders his acceptance and approval of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But then Jesus starts talking about suffering and death. He's talking about shame and embarrassment. And Peter then says, no way, not so, Lord. And we can laugh and we can snicker at Peter. But the reality is, sometimes we're guilty of the same thing. Boy, when God's doing great things in our lives, isn't it easy to worship? Oh, you're so good, you know. Check comes in, you weren't expecting. Glory, hallelujah, that we worship. God, I trust you with all of my life. There's no one like you. You know, the relationship and, you know, you've been praying, God, send me a man, send me a woman. He does. And it's like, God, you're so faithful, so amazing. We love to worship when things are good. But things get tough. The doctor says, terminal. The relationship's over. The bank account says zero. And it's so quick to say, That's, this isn't God. No, Lord. What are you doing in my life? No, no, this is not okay. This was not my plan. This is not the way that I was going to do things. Friends, I know it happens. I'm guilty of it multiple times in my life as well. But we need to all hear this tonight. That's not the heart of a disciple. In fact... It's an attitude that flows right from the heart of the enemy of our soul, Satan. That type of mindset is not the mindset of God, as Jesus says in verse 23. It's, mind, it's mindful of the things of men, the things of a rebellious world that's against God. We want to be in control. We want it our way or the highway. And that's not the heart of a disciple. That's not the heart we're going to see next in verse 24. We see what a disciple is not. not. Not one that puts his own way ahead of the Lord. Look at verse 24 and we see what a disciple is. 
Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Jesus rebukes Peter when he's displaying this me-first attitude. And then he shows the guys the ways they are to be. They're to deny themselves. They're to take up their cross. They're to follow Him. All three of those are aspects of complete commitment to God or what true discipleship really is. We're to deny ourselves, friends. To deny means the word. It means to act as if you've disowned something. And we've all gone through that in our lives. You know, you get a new car. Or for some of you, a car. You know, when it's new to you. Oh, you love your car. You put, anybody see my car? You know, and you want to give people rides in your car. You love it. You idolize it. You're into it. But over time, every car becomes an old car. And almost all of us have had an old car. Oh, man, my first car started off as an old car. The Mercury Topaz. That thing, we were living in Fresno, California at the time. It, it, you had to turn on the heater so it wouldn't overheat in the summertime. So there you are in Fresno, 95 degrees outside with a heater blaring. Just please don't break down. People would say, is that your car? I'd be like, what car? I don't know what, what you're talking about. My friend in, in Bible college, he, uh, he was from Indiana. And so he didn't quite get it when he bought a used car with a giant rainbow sticker on the back. He didn't understand with any, you see my new car? I was like, <laughs> it was one that you couldn't take off to. You just, you couldn't do it. And I'm like, do you, I know you're from Indiana, but do you know what that means? He's, no. Actually, he's like, oh. From then on, is that your car? No, not my car. Definitely not my car. I wouldn't ride with him ever in that car. Anyways, it's, that's to disavow some. That's not mine. That's not it. And this idea is what Jesus says. That's how you're to see your life. Not something you're all wrapped up in, focused on, idolizing. It's to say, hey, my life is not my own. It's denial. We're to deny self. Self can be so destructive to our lives. It permeates everything we do. In the book, Christ Indwelling and Enthroned, Oswald Sanders says this, self, is to the heart, self in the heart is to Satan as the Holy Spirit is to Christ. Keep that statement up there for a second. That's radical. That's radical. Just as the Holy Spirit should affect us to be more like Jesus, so self affects us to go the opposite direction into the image of the world. And think about it. Everything we struggle with, pride, lust, gossip, so much comes about because myself wants to be fulfilled. Because myself wants to be the greatest. Because I want others around me to notice. Because I want my desires and others to be put down. The radical truth is, friends, when self is on the throne of my life and yours, Jesus is not. And Jesus, knowing that, and knowing what it produces, says, Oh, I love you. I love you so much, and I want you to be blessed with this. You need to get self off the throne of your life and me back on. Deny yourself. Then he says, take up your cross. Not just deny yourself, but take up your cross. And we need to understand, friends, tonight, the cross is not some burden you have, some disease you, you got. It's not your parents. Oh, my parents are the cross. I, listen, all those things, we all have to deal with them. The cross, when you think about it, was an emblem of suffering and shame. People wouldn't even mention it in polite Roman society. Roman citizens couldn't be crucified. It was so horrible of a death. And they all knew it was. They all knew what Jesus would eventually go through. 
I mean, you think through what Jesus went through. He was, he was shamed all the way to the cross. People spitting on Jesus. Mocking Jesus. Wagging their heads at Him as He walked on by. His back was torn open. He, his hands were nailed to a cross. And He would have stood there bleeding, sweating, all of those things pooling below Him in a pain that they actually invented a new word, excruciating. The very root of that word is the cross because it describes this horrible, horrible death. Sometimes we equate the phrase again with, well, that's my cross because we have some minor inconvenience in our lives. That's not what the cross was. For Jesus, it was His ultimate act of sacrifice. His ultimate act of sacrifice. And I just think He's saying, friends, as a disciple, as a disciple, if that's what it takes... If that's what it takes to say, Lord, I just, I'm totally and completely yours, that may be what I'm asking you to be committed to. You see, so many of us, so much of us give so little to the one who gave so much. We honestly live in a day of easy believe, believism. Where you raise your hand, if you want to follow Jesus, then live any way you want. And in the end, you expect Jesus is going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Friends, I know we're saved through grace, through faith. I know we'll be in heaven because of what He did. But friends, between your conversion and your resurrection is your discipleship. Where God wants to shape you and mold you and make you more like Him. It's growing and maturing in your relationship. And sometimes, yes, I know it's not the message of American Christianity today, but sometimes, yes, it will cost you. It will. It will. Because everything, everything worthwhile in our lives, our marriages, our jobs, achieving something in athletics, everything worthwhile, it takes sacrifice. It takes putting self aside. It takes some hardship at times. And Jesus says, embrace it. Embrace it. That's what I did, Jesus would say. I despise the shame, but I embrace the cross for what it would bring. And if you're going to be my disciple, same thing. Deny yourself, take up the cross, and then he says, follow me. You see, at the heart of a disciple says, Lord, where are you leading? Where are you going? Lord, what do you want me to be involved with in my life? What is your mind concerning the things in my life? It's such the opposite of the Peter experience. Not so, Lord. But that's so often how I live. That's so often what I say to Him. But if I'm going to be like Jesus, led by the Father, directed by the Father, that was the example of our Lord and Savior. He told the Pharisees in John 5.19, the verse will be up on the screen, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself, but what He sees the Father do, for whatever He does, the Son also does in like manner. Jesus says, I don't do anything of Myself. I go to God and I say, God, what do you want me to do in my life? And some, when you read them teach on this verse, it's like, it's like they say Jesus was using poetic license. Or Jesus was exaggerating. I mean, He didn't really do nothing. Really? I mean, do you think Jesus used poetic language? To rephrase it, do you think Jesus exaggerated or lied? No. No, not at all. Jesus was stating a radical fact I believe one of the secrets to the, the victorious Christian life, the life of the disciple, the greatest life that has ever been lived was a life that was never lived at all 
for it was lived in complete subjection to another. Do you hear me on that? The greatest life that was ever lived, ever lived, accomplished the most, was the life that was never lived at all because it was lived in complete subjection to another. You see, any fool can live for himself, but it takes a disciple to say, God, I want to live for you. Take me where you will. Make the changes you want to make. Lead me. Lead me, Lord. A disciple doesn't argue with God's word, putting their ideas and thoughts above God, but a disciple submits all that they are, all they will ever will be. Lord, here's my mind, my thoughts. Make them your thoughts. Here's my hands. May they be dedicated to your work. Here's my feet. May you direct them in the way that you want me to go. All for you. That was the example of Jesus. Now before we go tonight though, we need to answer now a third question. We know what a disciple is not. My way, Lord, I want my way. Not a disciple. We know what a disciple is. Someone who willingly denies himself, takes up his cross, suffers even, and follows Jesus. So then thirdly, why in the world would I want to do that? Let's be honest. Let's have some real talk tonight. Why, why would I want to do that? That doesn't sound fun. <laughs> that doesn't sound like, whoopee, oh joy. A life not lived for me? That doesn't sound good at all. My flesh hates that idea. So why would I want to go this road in my life? Jesus gives us three reasons. Write them down, pray them in, think them through, and we'll be done tonight. Why would I want to be a disciple? Life, profit, and reward. Look at verse 25. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For, whatever profit, who, for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father and his angels, and he will reward each according to his works. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death if they see the man coming in his kingdom. Just a side note, many Bible scholars believe that verse 28 is actually better tied in for verse 17, or chapter 17. So if you're wondering what is verse 28 about, just read chapter 17 in the Transfiguration, and that's probably what Jesus was speaking of. But for our study tonight, why would I want to be a disciple? Jesus tells them, because of life, because of profit, and because of reward. You see, all we really want, life, profit, reward, Jesus says, is found in being a disciple. Well, I don't, I don't really want, to, want, want reward. Oh, don't put on the fake super spirituality. You do want reward. You should want reward. The only question is from whom and when. We all want reward. We all want pats on the back and encouragement. No, I just want to sit on a cloud and play my harp. Bling, bling. No, you don't. No, no, that doesn't sound fun to anybody. That's not what you want. You want reward and responsibilities for all of eternity. Well, Jesus says, if that's what you really want, it's way different how you get it than the world thinks. In fact, it's the exact opposite. He tells us in verse 25, if you want to live, if you want life, you have to lose yours. That's what happens. If you live for the Lord, if you live for you, you're going to lose your life. If you live for the Lord, your life will be lost in Him. You will find what real life is all about. And most of you know that. You've experienced that. That the greatest seasons in your life are not the seasons of selfishness. I mean, it comes from the time when we were little kids. You know, before most of us understood that Christmas was so much more than presents, do you remember being that little kid? We must dove. And then you'd open this package and that package. And, and I can remember as a kid, I was super selfish. Still working on that. But, but, but as a kid, I can remember going, I actually, I actually my, my parents tell the story to my shame. 
I would open up presents and say, oh, that goes in the bad pile. Oh, if my kids said that, I'd be like, well, your pile's just done, by the way. We're taking that all back. And I can remember as a kid, like, that's in the bad pile. Clothes in the bad pile. And, I, and again, honestly, I would feel so... Even as a kid, I can remember feeling so shameful afterwards. What was that about? The seasons of greatest joy. Oh, I remember my, my first day at Bible college. Just surrendering God. I don't want to go the way I've wanted to go now for years and years and years. Lord, what's your plan for me? What jo- and listen, outwardly, things were not good. You know, people were, oh, you're giving up a life of money and fame and all these things. And, and Bible college. Six roommates in one room. And I had some weird roommates. This dude above me, 22, 23 years old, loved Mickey Mouse. That's kind of weird when you're 23. 20, he, had Mickey, he had Mickey Mouse PJs. He had stuffed animals. He was constantly talking about Mickey. I'm like, bro, <laughs> are you single? Anyways, you know, just... It should have been a time when I was contemplating ending it all. But I wasn't. It was like, it was joy. You know why? Because it was saying, Lord, I want my life lost in you. And I was discovering for for the very first time in my life what life was really all about. We want life. Where does it come from? Being a disciple. Saying, God, my life is yours. We want profit. We want our life to expand. We want our life to mean something. So Jesus asks you a question and you've got to hear the answer. What do you profit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Again, we're taught since we're little that if you invest in this life and you get a good job and a good education and you make enough money and you achieve things in the world, then you will have profited. And listen, nothing wrong with having a good job, nothing wrong with having a good education, but I think all of us really need to ask God, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Because if you think that's going to be real profit forever, you're mistaken, friends. Because real profit, even if you gain the whole world and lose your soul, what does it profit you to be the Antichrist? That man, when he comes on the scene, will be the most profitable, powerful man to ever live. And he's going to hell. Do you want to be that man? Do you want to be that person? What would you give in exchange for your soul, Jesus would ask you? A a billion dollars? Leadership of the world? (laughs) Most of us would say, no, no, no. But the truth is, a lot of us sell out for far less than that. It's for a relationship. More money. A temporary high. We sell out for far less. And Jesus, I think, with tears in His eyes, would say to you, What are you doing? I'm not mad. I'm not angry. What are you doing? You really want to profit in this life and in the life to come. You want your life to mean something. It doesn't come from investing only in you. It comes from being a disciple. Disciple. You want life found in being a disciple. You want profit found in being a disciple. You want reward. No, I don't. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Again, guess what? It's found in being a disciple. You see, when you stand before God, you will get what you deserve. <gasps> Heresy. Heresy. What? What did you say? 
Now understand, understand. Don't email Pastor Rob. Listen closely. All of us understand that you're going to heaven because of Jesus Christ and His finished work on the cross. Amen? Amen. That's how you get to heaven. That's called the great white throne judgment. And you're right. It's based on Him, not you. Your simple acceptance of what Jesus did on the cross. But there's another judgment seat in heaven, friends. The Bema seat. Where we're told that rewards and responsibilities are handed out for all of eternity. And we're also told that that is based on what you do. In other words, your life matters now. It does. The things that we do selfishly, and I've got tons of them. Guess what? And that day, poof, up in smoke. But the things we do for Him are turned into crowns, responsibilities, and reward for all of eternity. And I'm not trying to scare you tonight. I, listen, I know we're going to be there one day, maybe very soon. And what I don't want, precious church, that I love with all my heart, what I don't want is for you to walk up to me and say, as one of my pastors, as one of my pastors, why don't you tell me that this life counted? Why don't you ever be honest with me that the decisions I make would affect eternity? Not, not how to get to eternity, but my reward for eternity. Why didn't you tell me? I don't want to ever have that conversation with you. I want you to hear my heart tonight. Your life here does matter. The decisions you make do matter. Not getting to heaven. Well, one decision matters. But what you'll do in eternity. Your life does matter, friends. It does matter. We want reward. So it comes in not serving yourself, but being a disciple. You see, salvation costs you nothing. But discipleship sometimes costs you everything. Salvation occurs in a moment. But discipleship is a lifetime. So much preaching today, not in this church, but so much preaching today is about the moment of decision. And we need to talk about that moment of decision. But what we're talking about is not just the moment of decision, but the lifetime of discipleship. And Jesus, I believe, would be absolutely, brutally honest with us about what it means to be His disciple. A disciple is one who believes in Jesus and worships Jesus and serves Jesus and follows Jesus and obeys Jesus. Yes, believes in Jesus, but doesn't just believe in Jesus. Lives a life in light of that belief. Jesus wasn't a salesman who wanted to draw your attention to all the benefits, but doesn't want you to consider the fine print. He told us the narrow road would be hard. Salvation, Jesus would say, my work is done for you, but I want you to follow me. I'm your God, and if you want to follow me, people may hate you, they may say things about you, it may cost you, you might even die. But there's something worse than dying, friends. It is a life wasted. We live in a consumer culture where if you don't like what some pastor has to say, you just go somewhere else. Now listen, you know my heart, you know Pastor Rob's heart. If you ever feel at any time that, hey, your family would be better ministered to somewhere else and God's leading you, amen, follow Jesus. But so often people leave, not because what Jesus is leading them to do, not because they're going after something they need, but it's what they want to hear that they're following. And I think we've misunderstood. Jesus was what? He was prophet, priest, and king. I'm almost done, but you've got to hear me on this. Jesus was prophet, priest, and king. 
And I think in Christianity today, it seems like every group of us kind of majors on two of the three, but misses the third, and because of that, lacks something. He was prophet in that he tells us the truth. This book is full of the truth of Jesus, right? Amen? This is truth. It's not sort of truth. It's not man's opinion on truth. This book is truth. Jesus, the prophet, spoke it into existence. But he's not just prophet, he's priest. He cares. He ministers. He loves us with all of his heart. You know that, right? He loves you so much tonight. He loves you when you're in the pit of sin. He loves you when you're doing your devotions and attending Wednesday night church. He loves you all the time. He's a priest. He cares about you. But he's also a king who has a will and a direction and gives commands to people in his kingdom. And each part of Christianity, to me, seems deficient in one area. You see, if we, if, we, if we focus on the fact that Jesus is king and prophet, but not priest, what you have in that is basically what we term fundamentalism in Christianity. He's prophet, the truth. He's king, I'm going to do what he says. But in so many fundamentalist churches, the, where's the love? Where's the, Jesus loves people. He's mad at sinners every day. He loves people. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Truth! Truth! Yes, truth. And love. But if you have king and prophet and no priest, well, fundamentalism. Now, now, if you have king and priest, but no prophet, well, then you get liberal Christianity. Well, I know I'm supposed to follow Him. I know He's a priest. I know He loves me. <laughs> but the Bible, you know, something probably God said, but you know, something, you know something, it really is up to interpretation and conversation. No, it's not. No, it's not up to conversation. This is God's word. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it will stand. It will stand forever. But if you miss that, well, then it's, well, I know God has a will, but I don't really know what that will is because I don't really have a prophet speaking to me. So I just love and do what my heart tells me to do. No. If you have prophet and priest, but no king, well, then I think what you have is what most evangelicals are today. Well, they understand God loves them. They understand this is the truth. But to hear that God has a will and wants you to actually follow it in your lives. Oh, don't be so legalistic. Friends, Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. He has spoken to us the truth. He loves you with all of his heart, but he has a will and he wants you to obey. Do we understand? You see, the spots for hypocrites are all filled up in Christianity today. What this generation needs is disciples. Disciples who realize that Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. That he loves me with all of his heart. He has spoken truth in my life. And he expects me to obey and follow him. So are we going to be disciples? 
Are we going to be those who want to always get our own way or are willing to take self off the throne, put Jesus, His words, and His Spirit on the throne, who are willing to suffer if need be, not to always take the path of least resistance, but to take up the cross and follow Him? It seems to be counterintuitive, but the way of a disciple is the way to real life. The way of the disciple is the way to real profit. And the way of a disciple is the way to real reward. Jesus, who loves you, says, I want you to be my disciple. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you so much for your word and how it speaks so relevant to our hearts and our lives today. Lord, I pray there would be no misunderstanding tonight. God, you are not mad at anyone. You're not upset at them. (laughs) But you are prophet, priest, and king. You have given us your word and it is truth. It's not your opinions, it's not man's thoughts, it is your eternal truth. You, have, you, you, Lord, are a priest and you love us with all of your heart. God, your thoughts, the word tells us, they're good to give us a future and a hope. Lord, the thoughts as of, as of, as of the sand of the seashore, you're constantly thinking about how much you love us. Lord, I, that baffles my mind, but amen. But Lord, you're also our king. You have a will and you expect us to obey. And you expect us to obey because you know, God, what is the best thing for our lives. You know what will bring life and real reward and real profit. Lord, you know. So as you said to those 12 men so many years ago, I believe you're saying to our hearts tonight, God, we have decisions to make. Because the reality is, we're not talking about how to get to heaven tonight. We're not talking about how to make you love us more because we know that we can do nothing to add to our salvation. We can do nothing to make you love us more. But we are talking about being a disciple. And there's a decision, I believe, in every heart tonight of whether we just want to go with the status quo to see certain parts of who you are and deny others or if tonight God we're ready to say we want to be your disciple in all that that means so you can search every part of our heart and allow us to be led in any way that you desire and I pray for many of us tonight Lord there would be an attitude of surrender to you who is our prophet and our priest and our king. Lord, may you do that work. Lord, may you encourage us with your truth tonight. Lord, I also want to pray for anyone listening to these words, whether tonight or in some other form later, at home on the internet, who doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that tonight would be the night that they would give their life fully and completely to you. And with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, no one looking around, If you want to give your life to the Lord tonight, again, it's not about climbing a thousand steps or even denying yourself. It's pretty simple. Jesus paid it all. And He asks you to believe in Him and and receive what He did on the cross for you. That's what it says in Romans 10, 9. But if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you shall be saved. So if you need Jesus... we. And the next thing he wants to do, make you a disciple. But hey, we got to start a little before that.
you need Jesus tonight, you sense that you're far from Him, all it takes is for you to say, I believe in you, I believe in you, and I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I want what you did on the cross to count for me. Just a simple prayer like that. The words, not so important. It's the heart that matters. Lord, I believe in you. And I want you to be my Savior and be my Lord. To come into my heart and come into my life. If you need to pray that prayer tonight, right now, between you and the Lord, just pray that. God, come into my heart. Come into my life. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Now, if you prayed that as I've been saying tonight, between that moment and when you get to heaven, now it's your discipleship. It's not about a simple prayer and then, hey, Jesus will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. He wants you to be a disciple, which means deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Him. But He's given you His Spirit. He's given you His Word. And as a priest, He will put His arm alongside you and pick you up when you fail and help you along the road. But you have got to be willing. Lord, I want to be a disciple. I know you'll be patient with me. I know you'll be gracious as I grow. I want to be on that narrow path following after you. God, may that truly be our heart tonight, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Next week, friends, we're going to fast forward to the end of Jesus' life. He's going to pull those same 12 disciples into an upper room. And in John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17... We'll cover them all in a six-hour study next Wednesday night. No, no. I want you to like me. We wouldn't do that. Over multiple weeks, we're going to go over those chapters. And so often, as you've been told, someone's final words are the most important. And I think that's equally true of Jesus. As he's going to pour into these disciples for one more time in that upper room, one more time in a garden. And then, of course, we'll look at things he said right before he ascended. But tonight, 18 minutes till 8 o'clock. If you need to go, awesome. I totally understand. But listen, I think it's so important for us to take just a moment and respond to what we just heard. Don't misunderstand me, not because I said it. But I think tonight is very important. I really do. Because I think there's a great temptation in American Christianity to just kind of float downstream going to heaven and you are you are believe in Jesus you are but as a pastor that loves you as Pastor Rob loves you I don't want you to get to heaven and think man he gave me 40 years what did I do I didn't experience life to the fullest and profit or what was I doing what was I thinking I want you, I want me to go for it with all that we are. So right now, tonight, in the next, now 17 minutes, I want you and the Lord to spend some time talking things over. Because some things, I'll be honest, need to be surrendered tonight. The compromise needs to stop. Some things need to be surrendered. You need to realize that you have a king that loves you and he's spoken the truth, but he's your king. And he expects you to obey. And you need to obey tonight. I know we'll, we'll fumble and we'll fall. He'll be right there to lovingly pick you up. But he's serious. His word is serious, friends.
So let's take some time. If you need prayer, men and women will be up front. But, but maybe for most of us, just some time with you and Jesus. Talking things over. Being honest. You don't have him fooled, right? He knows you. So let him look inside. Let him deal with your heart tonight. That we might truly be disciples. Let's worship the Lord together.